So I have Brad Buchanan here with me, and I've actually read into your history quite a bit, and it seems very, very interesting, your, your story. So if we could start off with you telling me a little bit about, you know, how your ranch came to be, Flying Bee Bar, and your story. Well, I would say uh, we're, we and I are, we're, we're an accidental rancher. <laughs> um, I'm an architect and a planner by education and, and profession and I've always been interested in land use and um, how ecology and systems work to affect land use and cities and urban places and rural places and, um, and bought a uh, hundred piece of a hundred year old cattle operation in Strasburg, Colorado in 2006 with the intention of actually um, raising and, and training field trial retrievers, but became really quickly became apparent to me that that land needed the cattle on the land. And, and it just fascinated me what the land did after the cattle left and in, in, in good things and, and, and bad things. And, um, and so we, I just, I, I bought some some cattle to um, try to, you know, work back into the ecosystem, and and from that moment on, just have been hooked. And, and we started out with 500 acres, and and now uh, ranch has grown to 8,000 acres, and uh, about 900 head of cattle, and and a number of folks uh, working here, and um, and a direct to consumer business that. Uh, sold just shy of $2 million worth of uh, grass-fed beef to um, a whole bunch of happy customers this, just this last year. That's, that's amazing. That's an amazing history. Um, when I was reading about you, I know that you referred to your branch as, as your rural experiment. What, what exactly yeah. does that mean? So um, I... I, like I mentioned, I, I, I'm an architect and I had an architecture firm in Denver and, um, and was very involved in, in the plan in planning efforts around Denver. And actually I chaired the Denver planning commission for nine years. And then I was the, uh, a cabinet member under mayor Hancock's cabinet. I was the uh, planning director for the city of Denver from 2013 to 2018. And so I was, in the middle of planning one of the fastest growing cities in the United States for five years. Um, and, and looking at, and, you know, at, at the, the issues the city dealt with uh, and really Denver is a story, sort of a victim of its own success. I mean, the, the issues Denver has are all symptoms of the, su the success it's had, affordable housing, traffic, um, uh, air quality, equity issues, social justice issues, food, just food equity issues. And, um, uh, and so when, when we uh, bought this uh, first piece of ground in, in Strasburg, Colorado, just 33 miles um, from, from the city and county building in, in right in downtown Denver, it just amazed me the difference between the rural place and the urban place. And, and I was stunned at, at how disconnected they were, yet so close to each other and and was able to see all the different influences they had and, and quite frankly the missed opportunities from the lack of understanding or communication that occurs between the urban place and the rural place um i you know strasburg um 
you know, it's a different politic. It's a, it's, it, they, they speak a different language. It's a different economy. Uh, it's a different culture. Um, it's a different set of priorities. It's a different work ethic. Uh, it's a different family life. Um, it's a different um, municipal and regulatory structure than downtown. Um, and yet both of these places, you know, I'll, I'll pick on Strasburg and Denver just for another minute, you know, they, they have so much to offer each other. And, and in fact, I, I got asked, uh, the, the Mile High TEDx folks asked me to do a TED Talk in 2014 because they thought it was a little bit odd that I was, you know, a cattle rancher and the planning director of such a large U.S. city. And they, you know, they wanted to hear that story. And I, and I talked a little bit about, uh, a, a lot about um, the relationship between the urban place and the rural place and what they have to offer to each other, but they, um, uh, the, 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 the opportunities that exist there are enormous. And, um, and I think today more than ever, uh, it's important that we work on, we work on that connection. Um, I'll, I'll quickly add too that I had the wonderful opportunity to move from being planning director to, a, uh, the position I'm in now, my, my other full-time job, um, where I'm the CEO of the National Western Center Authority and the you know, National Western Center complex is all about making that connection, right? It's about creating that rural place in the city and, and, place, and, and creating a place where the, the city uh, gets to sort of exercise and understand their, their rural roots and, and the, the agricultural traditions and the agricultural economy that, you know, is so so important uh, for the state of Colorado. So that blurring these lines and learning from each other uh, between the urban and the rural place is something I am extremely passionate about. Now, to your question about the ranch being this, this rural experiment, this land use experiment, that, that is what it has been. How can we create a sustainable, regenerative, financially sustainable, um, uh, operation um, in 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 a in a world where generally small smaller uh, agricultural operations don't thrive uh, much today, and we are we're you know we've been um, uh, working at it for since two thousand six, and um, this year um, you know we. We were was honestly our first year in the black, twenty twenty, um, and uh, uh, that's a good that's a good thing. We're we're proving up uh, our experiment. I, I knew we'd get there. I didn't know how long it would take, but uh, we've we've managed to pull it off. I'm pretty pretty proud of the whole team that's worked so hard to get there. What do you see as some of the negative consequences of people being disconnected with their food? Well, I mean, the fact that folks don't understand where their food comes from um, is just a uh, is it's just a tragedy, and 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 you know the the disconnect between uh, buyers and producers, when in fact they they both truly want that connection. I mean, it it our, our ranch, for example, we we ship beef from here from here at the ranch. But we do a lot of uh, beef where our, our buyers come out here to the ranch to pick it up. You know, we're 45 minutes from downtown Denver. And, and they really like it because they, 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 
they're just kind of starving to know where their food comes from, particularly through the pandemic where a lot of folks had uh, time in, in their home, a lot of time in front of a computer screen and were um, looking at ways to source ethically produced, humanely produced, uh, sustainably produced, locally produced uh, proteins and, and produce. And um, so we've had uh, our buyers, um, they seek us out. Uh, we, we do some social media advertising, but they, they find us um, because they want it. And uh, so thank goodness today we're starting to see the, particularly on the, from the urban place, but in the rural place too, um, in our, in the cities, people really looking to source uh, better foods uh, that they're going to feed for themselves and, and, and their families. So how have your regenerative agriculture practices transformed your ranch and how is that restoring an age old process in the North American shortgrass prairies? So the, you know, the shortgrass prairies of Eastern Colorado are incredibly fragile lands. Um, and uh, particularly in a year like this, uh, where we're, we're in, a, in a significant drought right now, um, uh, it's been a, honestly, it's been a, a process of trial and error for us. Um, I, I really tried to find folks who were doing what we were doing, who were, who were trying to, um, you know, uh, intensively graze, rotationally graze, mob graze on the, uh, Eastern Plains. I really wasn't finding very much of it. Um, uh, and, but, um, uh, uh, we're, you know, a believer that, that, you know, if, if Alan Savory can, can do it in Zimbabwe, you can certainly do it on the Eastern Plains of Colorado and you can, and, uh, when we've proved it, um, so, uh, we, we move our cattle a lot, um, in through, through paddocks throughout the ranch. We're, we're usually running five herds, different herds of cattle, uh, here at the ranch. We've got mamas, calves, yearlings are, you know, finished, almost finished animals. We call fats and, and our bull herd. So right now we have five different herds moving around. Uh, they get moved even now in the winter regularly, although it's, it's more important to be moving them, uh, during the during the you know peak of the growing season than it is right now, but that's that's been critically important. The other thing we've done is that we produce all of our own hay. We grow all of our own hay, so we we farm 3,700 acres to create all of the hay that we feed to our animals because I want to know all the inputs into our cattle. Um, so uh, we use that we use cattle as a farming tool and farming as a, as a ranching tool as a cattle tool uh, and it works really well we graze our we graze hay we will plant triticale which is a wheat and ryegrass hybrid and in the spring go into it graze it pull the cattle off go back to it let it come up i mean so last year we had good spring rains we had cattle on triticale five different times in just in one big uh, field we had um, so we can get incredible efficiency that way, or we let it grow and we bale it and we, and we strip feed it in the, in, in the winter, um, this year, a longer period of time because of the fall drought we've had started feeding hay earlier than we'd like. But, um, that, uh, that ability to, um, uh, you know, feed hay in farm fields, in strips that produce, you know, puts, um, um, 
organic matter back into the into the field and then with with the cattle on the field themselves um, cattle poop on the field and, and that gets you know tilled back in if that's if it's a tilled field or or sits on top if it's a no-till field um, we've had uh, really good luck with luck with that even here on the, the drier eastern plains of Colorado so I want to get into AGA a little bit why, why are your AGA certified products different than just any meat that you could go and buy at the supermarket? I mean, the, the reason we choose to do the work, um, did the research in the first place and continue, I don't know how, we think we've been AGA members now for probably more than a dozen years. Um, uh, and an AGA certified producer all that time too, is that the, the, the requirements, the, um, the guidelines and standards are, um, we think re most relevant. I mean, they are, they are, uh, strict and rigid where they should be. They are, um, more, you know, standards where they should be there guidelines where they should be. Um, and it's a producer-driven organization. Um, there's expert. There's so many different kinds of expertise around the table um, in in the in the AGA uh, staff and and board. Um, it's just a it's a well conceived uh, model and a well uh, and a wisely regulated system, both from the uh, inspection and audit and certification processes to the outcomes that they're focused on. So um, uh, we've, we've found it and, and we've looked at all of them. <laughs> we've looked at all the certifications out there and we, uh, you know, at the end of the day, AGA is the only one that we, we choose to, to pursue and, and we'll continue to do so I'm sure, sure for years to come. So how does this help you in marketing your products? Like what, what does that mean to consumers when they see that AGA label? Well, I think it means a lot to some and maybe not much to too many of them, quite frankly. Uh, one of AGA's missions is to educate buyers so that they are looking for a certification like AGA's to know what they're getting. Uh, there's a lot of greenwashing of, of beef out there, uh, and 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 without uh, American Grass-Fed Association certification on it and that AGA logo on it, um, you can't be sure of what you're getting. And uh, I, I wish more buyers knew that. We certainly uh, educate our buyers, and AGA spends a lot of time and effort doing that as well. And we'll continue. That'll continue to happen. I, I do think that buyers are becoming more and more savvy uh, about um, that some of these games that are getting played. Um, you know, it's uh, um, it, but when, once once folks figure out what what the what true grass fed means in terms of just flavor profile and quality of the meat. Um, that they figure out that it was produced in a regenerative way that really is truly better for the animals, better for the planet and better for the consumers themselves. Um, 
they don't they never go back and um, that's how we've built our customer base when they when they really learn about what they're getting and what they didn't know they didn't know before they bought um, they, they, they you know it changes the way they buy meat and their protein for their family forever so I, I think you've convinced me how how can we all get our hands on your products for all <laughs> our viewers out there so uh, we've got an online store at uh, flyingbbar.com, www.flyingbbar.com. Uh, we've got pretty active social media presence, um, Flying B Bar Ranch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds. So uh, look us up. Uh, you can find us easy just with Flying B Bar pretty much anywhere. Go to the website, uh, really easy online store. I don't know, maybe 80 or 90 different uh, single cuts you can buy there, or you can buy an eighth, quarter, half, or a whole beef. We slaughter cattle uh, every week, 52 weeks a year. Uh, we do pickups um, three days a week here at the ranch. We ship two days a week. So we make it pretty easy for people to to get us. Sounds like you're really busy. So busy. And I know <laughs> you are because I was reading about the grass-fed market over the past couple of years, I mean, the past decade and how it's exploded. I mean, really exploded. And I was reading a figure from Business Wire this morning that was talking about how in the next five years, they're looking at an increase of $14.5 billion globally, which is just really, really exciting for anybody that's involved in that. So how does it feel to be one of the true pioneers of like the grass-fed movement that's been so successful? Um, well, there are a lot of folks that came before us and working at this a whole lot longer. Carrie, your, your, your uh, uh, executive director is, is one of them. She's been at this a long, long time before me. But, um, uh, I, you know, it, it takes, takes every one of us, uh, everybody with an oar in the water, rowing in the same direction hard because they're, this is not easy work. Um, and it's not... Uh, it's not convenient work because it's disruptive, right? I mean, that regenerative agriculture and grass-fed beef is a disruptive industry right now. The best compliment we can receive right now is that we're somehow perceived as a threat. <laughs> so I, I think we're doing something right. Um, and uh, we're producing something that, uh, you know, more and more customers want. And um, we're going we're gonna to keep doing that for years to come.